Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus DS9, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. I am Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing okay, Bob. These were two of the weirdest episodes of the respective shows that we are covering uh, that I think we've watched so far. So weird. So weird, huh? Yeah, they're extremely weird, Bob. Like th- This Babylon 5 episode, when we start talking about it, I want to go ahead and just throw out the spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the episode, uh, watch it before we start discussing because it's it's got some weird things in it, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to go into too much detail without you actually watching uh, it for yourself. You're saying that otherwise the listeners won't know Jack, Matt. <laughs> exactly, Bob. They won't know Jack the Ripper. Yes. Uh, uh, it's all out in the open. Uh, I guess we should have identified the episode before we talked about. <laughs> well, um, well, now the listeners spoilers. know what we're talking about because, geez, I mean, it's like this, this episode it has to have like divided the the fan base at the time, and it's kind of I think it's divided the fan base now. Honestly, looking at some of the comments and things about this episode, it's just like it, it, it's, we'll go into it. But yeah, go ahead. Let's go yeah. and just drop 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 the a plot and the b plot and all that other good stuff. Well, I guess I should have identified the episode titles in the opener. So we've got Comes the Inquisitor, which uh, originally aired on the 25th of October, 1995. It's uh, Season uh, 2, Episode 21, the penultimate episode of Season 2 for Babylon 5. And then for DS9, we've also got the penultimate episode of Season 3, which is Episode 25, Facets. And that originally aired on the 12th of June, 1995. So the A-plot um, is Kosh is having doubts about Delenn as a leader of the Rangers in the coming war, so he summons an Inquisitor, who is Jack the Ripper. Yes, but he goes by the name Sebastian until yes. the very last second of the episode. So we'll, we'll go yes. into that. All right. In the B-plot, Bob, in the wake of the conquest of Narn, Jakar has become a street preacher and a source of great guilt for Kato. Indeed, indeed. So... Uh, did you buy, and this is kind of like the justification for Lanier, and, uh, but it's a justification from Lanier for the thing that Kosh is having Delenn undergo, that, uh, quote, um, the right thing done for the wrong reasons is corrupted, end quote. What were we trying to say? Bob, really? Like, you don't, you don't agree with that? Like, just because I donate to charity in order to get a tax write-off, is that corrupt, Bob? Uh, no, I would not say that's corrupt, Matt. Okay, just because I marry a lonely... I would say charity itself is corrupt, <laughs> but I would not say you you doing it for a tax write-off is corrupt. Okay, how about just because I marry a lonely 90-year-old woman to get her inheritance? Not because I love her. Is that wrong, Bob? Is that corrupt? Um, I mean, I think marrying anyone who's 90 is wrong, Matt. Okay. Just as a general principle. How about if I start a war, Bob, that kills millions of people 
because I want the power and admiration of my people. Is that corrupt, Bob? I don't think you understand the concept, Matt. Yeah, when I when I go back and I reread that one, Bob, I was like, you know what? I think starting war isn't really the right thing, so that doesn't make sense. I may have to go back and redo that one. But yeah, that's what Londo no. essentially does, though. He starts a war because of the admiration and power, for, but he also wants to kill a bunch of Narn, so I get it. No, like the, the example is like, is it right that I pet my cat only because I want to, I want to get the gratis, the gratification of petting the cat, not because I want the cat to enjoy getting petted? That's the question. Or is it, um, is it right that, uh, you know, I uh, donate ate a lot of money to poor people only to, uh, you know, raise my profile or get the tax write off. Like it's, it's a good action done for the wrong reasons. That's, that's the dilemma, Matt. It's not bad things like marrying a 90 year old person or uh, starting a war. Okay. So at least I got one example, right? Correct. You can give me credit for that. It's, it's, it's weak, the, the, but you the, ta- got it. the tax write off one I got. Yeah. It, the other two, not, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So do you buy that general moral principle, Matt? I mean, it depends. I don't really understand. Was Lanier saying this in respect to Delenn being tortured? Is that what this is? No, he's saying that if Delenn leaves the Rangers, which in De- in Lanier's mind is a good idea, if she does it for the wrong reasons, then it doesn't matter how good she is or how good what she's doing is. It's corrupted. So Lanier and Kosh want to see if Dylan is doing the good thing for the right reasons instead of the wrong reasons. Which is why they torture her. Yes. And they get Jack the Ripper to torture her. Yes. I don't see any problem with that logic, Bob. Yeah, I, th- I think that's in- immensely <laughs> stupid. Matt. And it's, uh, it's the kind of new age bullshit you expect from 90s science fiction. Your, your intentions don't matter. Nobody's intentions matter. All that matters is the result of your actions. Anything else is hippy-dippy shit. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Bob. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> as, as, as they said in the '90s, Bob. I'm just joshing you. Oh God, that is something Garibaldi would say. Yeah, I'm just, just, just joshing you, Bob. It's okay. So, did you recognize the guy who played the arms dealer, Matt Clay? Yeah, he was in Lost Highway. I remember him from that. Wasn't he? He's like the guard or something. And doesn't he say, yeah. "This is some spooky shit we got here." Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Jack Keeler is the actor's name, and yeah, Lost Highway. He was also uh, the landlord of the dude in The Big Lebowski, who the dude was always brushing off. Yeah, good good little character. Nice to see him uh, dealing with Jakar. I don't think he comes back, uh, but, you know, it's a nice little moment of him uh, him marking up some weapons and selling them to Jakar. Yeah, old Jakar has become, and so quickly. Yeah, weird combination of resistance leader and street preacher. Yes. All right, so we're introduced to this brand new character, Bob. Sebastian. Yes. Played play by Wayne Alexander. Yeah. Did you recognize Wayne Alexander from anything? No, but he looked like he'd probably been acting for a while. Uh, he actually hasn't done very much. Um, he's on Babylon 5 a lot, uh, but other than that, he doesn't have much of a career. Okay, hold on, it hold seems on. Like. Hold on, Bob. So Jack the Ripper is going to make more than one appearance on this show. Could be, Matt. Could be. Uh, I don't know if I don't. I'm still I'm on the fence about this episode, Bob, and this whole character. This this part has been weird. It's just weird. I, I caught on pretty quickly that he was supposed to be Jack the Ripper, like even before the reveal. They made it kind of obvious. I mean, did did you feel that way? Uh, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the episode, but I think when he says he disappears from London in 1880, right, right after he's ranting about uh, you know sexually promiscuous women. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, that's... They, they, they give it away pretty early on. You just have to, like... Yeah. But, but, but you're just... There was a feeling of doubt in my mind as I was watching it, though, until they, until the you know, the last scene where he says, Jack, is it is it jumping the shark a little? I mean, is it... I, I don't think so. I mean, I think the entire idea of jumping the shark is a little dumb because it's, like, saying that, like, oh, here's one thing that happens in an episodic... Yeah. bit of television that poisons the rest of the show. I mean, I'm sure it picks back up, I know, it, but I just feel like the, this was just, this to me was weird. It, it stood out. Like, okay, is this good or bad? I don't know yet. I don't know what they're going for. And so far, it's kind of, like you said, the whole premise was kind of bad. Well, I would, Like the whole I setup would, for it. I disagree. I think the premise is good, but the execution is bad. So, 
So I the like, premise of torturing Delin to make sure she's uh No, the premise of the premise of the Vorlons kidnapping. Oh Jack yes. The for, yeah, yes. Yeah. I, when I say when I meant premise, I meant the whole premise of the reason they have the Inquisitor there to begin with, I guess is what I mean. That setup is kind of like odd. Yeah. I, well, and it's specifically like the they're just doing that same like new age gobbledygook that science fiction like loves to do. Like Star Wars does it with the force, Star mm. Trek does it sometimes and here it's like babylon 5 doing it this like just kind of new age double speak where you know it's like oh are you are you doing the right thing for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons yeah. and then you know oh here's here's uh wayne alexander who i think is does a kind of interesting job in the role but it's just the dialogue is kind of cheesy and not very powerful just you know saying like random things that don't really mean anything right the torture session and kind of say that his He's a good actor, but it's the it's what he's working with. Like the actual, like you said, the dialogue it just goes on and on, and it kind of loses its appeal because you're right. He kind of it's a ramble almost sometimes with what yeah. he's saying, which is like maybe somewhat supposed to reflect that like as Jack the Ripper, he's still sort of unhinged, yeah, and like he's you know kind of not maybe not as reformed or enlightened or as penitent as he claims at other other parts of the episode but yeah i i just i don't know we're i think we're both in a, a shit posting group uh on facebook called babylon 5 spoo posting mm -hmm. which i think is a really great group and there's some great memes that come out of it but weirdly uh just yesterday i saw a meme that wasn't even really a meme it was just a screen cap of sebastian from this episode with some of his like random new age dialogue about like laying down your life for your other man or something right and right it would like somebody was talking about like what good non-pretentious dialogue this was <laughs> and no, no offense to that poster but i was like no no this is both pretentious and very bad dialogue okay yeah. this is this is the exact opposite of what you're saying it is i'm glad you and i are in agreement on this because i, I just could not that that part threw me off too like I, I i'm so this is like i'm so on the fence with this episode bob i'm just like I, I, I want to see. I'm I'm kind of glad he is coming back because I want to see if it gets better, like the character of Sebastian. Can you give me some hints there? Uh, I don't think subsequent appearances of Wayne Alexander will change your mind about this episode. Okay, well that makes sense. For better or for ill, I don't think they'll change your mind. As far as Jack the Ripper goes, Bob, you got anything that you uh, any memorabilia or any uh, piece of Ripper media that you enjoy? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think my favorite is that Hitchcock has a silent film uh, that's loosely based on the Jack the Ripper case from 1927. It's basically like his first film, although I think he maybe did some others before it. But it's like kind of like your first like true Hitchcock film, like a lot of the style of like crazy people, blondes in danger, um, man framed, dude hanging suspended by handcuffs from a great height. All of that kind of like Hitchcock essentials are there. It's really pretty, uh, a lot of fog, kind of expressionist film. From It's silent from 1927 called The Lodger. I really like that movie. And uh, then have you ever read the Alan Moore comic from Hell, Matt? Yeah, I've read from Hell. Now, didn't they make a movie about it too? It was really good. No, yeah, with, uh, good. with Johnny Depp directed yeah. by the oh, Hughes yeah. brothers. That's right, I, yeah. I never actually saw the movie. Um, I, I didn't either because I, I just didn't want to ruin the comic. I like the, the, I've I heard people or... say that... It's not a good movie as an adaptation of the comic, but just taken on its own, it's not terrible. Like it's not amazing, but it's not terrible if you could just take it on take it on its own. And I think unlike I, I don't know, I think unlike the Watchmen movie or the V for Vendetta movie, it doesn't ruin the source material. Like so, for me, I, I can't read V for Vendetta or Watchmen anymore because I hate the movie so much. Like it, it, they they've actually ruined the comic for me. Yeah, I'll say that the V for Vendetta movie ruined the comic for me. Watchmen, I, I was never that attached to Watchmen. And like I've told you before, the HBO Max series is actually really good. And you should watch eh, it. But I don't but believe you're, that. But you're not going to. Uh, no, I do want to go not. back, though. My, my One of my favorite pieces of Jack the Ripper Merc is something that like you probably have never even heard of. But there is a video game that came out called Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Oh, I have heard of that. I have was that late eighties or like mid nineties? Oh no, this is like this is actually the recent Bob. This is like two thousand nine. Oh, 
I thought I'd I thought I'd seen something like that when we were kids, but maybe there, okay, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm making it up. No, but there probably was. There's like that's a common thing in a Jack the Ripper Sherlock Holmes same time period everything. Yeah, there've been a couple of novels. I've never read them, but there've been a couple of novels. Yeah, but this game like lets you go to each crime scene and investigate, and it's really cool. Like I just, I just remember it because I actually probably learned more about the case from that game than like anything else I ever have looked at. Uh, concerning if Jack you ever Ripper. if you ever re- reread from hell there there's a oh, lot yeah. of detail there oh yeah yeah from hell's yeah from hell's great too yeah. i mean there but i don't yeah. know like i don't i don't know like the legitimacy of it like if it's uh if, if that's like really how, how oh yeah from hell is yeah. very from i mean that's accurate well i mean more does you know the, from hell is framed around the conspiracy theory that it's like i think it's like the queen's personal p- physician william goal is doing the murders which is a conspiracy theory that like Moore doesn't actually believe. He just thinks it's like an interesting. But I would say like from my memory, from Hell is good about the details of the case, but it's also good. And one of the reasons I love from Hell is like Moore is kind of working with the premise like to solve a murder, you need to solve the society in which it was committed, or you need yeah. to understand the society in which it's committed. So from Hell has a lot of really cool details about like Victorian culture and a lot of like crossing Jack the Ripper over with historical figures like Hitler and mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde and other things like that. Yeah, it's it's a total deep dive into Victorian England. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, these aren't really the cream of the Jack the Ripper crop. I would not send them to you. Uh, I would not send you to them, uh, <laughs> except for the fact that they're connected to our podcast. So there is that original Star Trek season two episode, uh, Wolf in the Fold, where the Ripper is basically Bob from Twin Peaks and uh, the entity that is the Ripper possesses Scotty. And then there's also a a Wolverine and Gambit miniseries by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale from 1995 that's not very good, but involves Jack the Ripper. Okay, hold on. Is it in present time? (laughs) It's in present time. But they're investing... It's been a few years since I've read it, and I don't remember the details very well. Uh, Jay and Miles did just do an episode on it not too long ago. But basically, it's something about, like, Jack the Ripper-like murders are happening in London again, and, like, Arcade and Mastermind are somehow involved. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, it's not great, although I will say uh, it's better than most of the other Loeb and Sale Marvel miniseries. Like, it's... It's, it's better than Daredevil Yellow or Captain America White, the most unfortunately named miniseries of all time. <laughs> well, you're reading Captain America White. <laughs> I, morbid curiosity. You, na- you name your miniseries White, and I just like, damn, son, you stepped in it. I got to read that and see what you're up to. Captain America Black is on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> hey And that, that, uh, mini- that miniseries, uh, Truth, Red, White, and blue or truth red white yeah. and black i can't remember what the actual that's a good miniseries the other problem too is is sam wilson is his name right yeah the pro that's my brother-in-law's name and it, it, it bothers me so and that's a weird off but you gotta you gotta admit that sam wilson is a more generic name it is it totally is yeah yeah just, just... um no the the I haven't read much of the Falcon as Captain America stuff. Um, not, a, I'm sure it's good. I, I would like to read it at some point, but I'm just, I'm not a big Captain America guy, so there's not that much cap I've read. Um, but no, the the one I'm talking about is the one from maybe the middle aughts where you find out uh, that in the Marvel Universe, you know, the Tuskegee ex- uh, experiments that like gave black men syphilis, uh, like right before World War II, you find out that they like, tested it's like kind of related to that in the marvel universe like they test the super soldier serum oh okay, on yeah. black people and so you've got um a character i believe his name is elijah bradley yes who it he, works on yeah he was in the he was in the on the show okay okay yeah oh, you haven't watched winter soldier or whatever it's called it's captain falcon winter soldier whatever it's called yeah no i i tapped out after uh wandavision yeah. Wandavi- like i was morbidly curious but i thought wandavision was so bad that i'm never going to watch another disney plus oh. miniseries <laughs> god you cancel quick falcon and winter soldier has got got that character in it though like for like he yeah. plays a big part towards the end 
Well, like, I was maybe going to watch uh, Moon Knight, but then I saw the Super Bowl trailer, and oh, I was like, hard no. I'm we, need to watch, watch Moon we, we need to watch Moon Knight so we can do something on it, because oh, I'll, I'll be watching don't that Don't make one. me watch Moon I watched The Peacemaker just for you, <laughs> and you now got to make, you're going to repay me by also making me watch fucking Moon Knight? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go back. Let's go back to this. We'll start uh, one off. other one other okay. point I wanted to complain about yep. that I w- I was curious about the Hawkeye series, but then I, I saw a meme. It. I saw a meme that convinced me that the whole show sucks, which is, you know, that like Tuvok Harry Kim like Are you two friends? Yes, right. no meme. Yeah. yeah, I saw that with uh, Kate and Clint from the show. Yeah, but it was. It was Clint saying no and Kate saying yes. And that fucking irritates me because that's the exact <laughs> opposite of their relationship. Like Kate is the cool one and Clint is the fuck up. And it's just it like they can't actually do the fraction run on DC because they have this fucking bland Jeremy Renner playing Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. So they can't actually have Hawkeye be a loser like he is in the fraction and Kelly Thompson comics, which yeah. are the good comics. And so instead it's gotta be like, Oh, he's so cool. And he's going to eventually be won over to, you know, his new up and coming, uh, sidekick. And it's like, no, Kate is awesome. And Clint is a loser. And that's the entire point of that series. And if you can't right. get that from reading that series and translated into your stupid streaming miniseries, and I don't even know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, that's the exact opposite dynamic in that show. I quit watching that one. I got to, I was so bored. Like, it's, because it's, it's so, like, you're right, it would be so much better if it was the way you're describing it, where Kate's the cool one, because it's not that. It's more like, he's the mentor, she's the apprentice, like, type bullshit that just, you see everywhere. I mean, it's the like same any, generic. Like any other, any other dynamic of like older character, younger character could give you that. But like yeah. the Kate Clint dynamic is a lot funnier. He's like family man. Like that's yeah. the whole thing. And then his wife his, his but he, his kids and wife are not there because he sent them home. So there's no real dy- There's nothing going on there in that part. And then it's just well, him that's and the, Kate. That's the other thing I didn't like is that you can't like the the Hawkeye from like the Fraction and Kelly Thompson runs, which are the really good runs. Like he can't be a family man. If he's a family man, the character doesn't make sense. Like usually I think superhero comics are like too against like characters having families like i think it's fine if spider-man is married or spider-man has young kids that's fine like but i it doesn't work with the type of character hawkeye is in those series it's very generic and they just kind of can they've done this plot to death already in other forms but that's kind of how their series i like loki or whatever i i couldn't i can't tell you anything that happened in that series i watched every episode but it was just like something something multiverse I really liked Spider-Man or Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. But I swear to God, it's going to, it it might be the death of like superhero cinema because it's just going to turn, like literally everything from now on, it's just going to be multiverse stuff, it seems like. Well, I like randos just showing up everywhere. Yeah, it's just like, oh, here's here's the ones you remember from the prior movies or, oh, <laughs> here's the, you know, here's the one from the universe where all the superheroes have beards. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not going to be great. I did think it was kind of weird and kind of interesting that, like, when uh, Sebastian or Jack is ranting at um, Delenn, he's kind of ranting at her for being too much of, like, a conformist Minbari. And I, I don't know, like, I thought there was a kind of interesting, like, human exceptionalist bent to that, where, like, the Vorlines, like, pluck a Victorian sadist human out of London and then send him to Bereda, Bereda Minbari for being too Minbari. I thought there was a kind of interesting, like, subtext to that. Yeah, we've seen like a lot of different forms of torture in uh in this show, <laughs> but one that comes to mind when you mentioned the whole, when when I started seeing the whole torture between uh, with Delenn and Sebastian, it goes it took me back to Sinclair being tortured by the Memory. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a connection there, Bob, that I'm supposed to be making? Well, I I think you you're right to make the connection. I wasn't thinking of it so much, but I think you're right, and I do think in some ways this episode might have been better if Sinclair was still the lead because like Sheridan is getting tortured, um, you know, basically because he loves, um, Delenn. And I, I didn't want to admit that when I first watched this episode because I was still hoping they weren't going to go into like a Delenn Sheridan romance. But, you know, as as you've kind of made clear in your comments when we've getting to this far, like that's clearly where Sheridan and Delenn are going. 
So like Sheridan is just doing it because he loves Delenn. Whereas if it were still Sinclair, it would be a bit more interesting because it would be kind of like coming full circle where he's he's getting tortured in order to save someone who tortured him. And there would be maybe a more satisfying, uh, sort of satisfying circularity to that. So I, I agree with that because I think that originally, and I've made this clear, that I think Sinclair was supposed to be like ultimately a love interest for Delenn as the series went on maybe. Because if Sheridan wouldn't have come in and Sinclair wouldn't have stepped out. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. And then um, you'd have two se- I, you'd have two seasons yeah. of build up to this moment, and then it's like, oh, okay, it's there's there'd be some release there. Whereas I don't feel like the whole love interest piece for this in just this one season, Sheridan's met Delenn, Delenn's transformed, Delenn's gone through all these changes and has to. Uh, you know, I just don't feel like there's a relationship that is as strong as it would have been had Sinclair stayed on and we'd had two seasons of him and Delenn doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I still do think, although maybe the dialogue would have been somewhat different if it was Sinclair and Delenn rather than Sheridan and Delenn, but I still think the episode would suffer from the fact that, like, the rantings about of um, Jack are a little ridiculous and <laughs> the entire framework of Kosh wanting to just, you know, get Delenn tortured to make sure she's the right leader is also really ridiculous. So I think the episode would still... Uh, suffer from that but yeah in other ways i think it would make the it would make this aspect of the episode a lot more satisfying We've, i mean is there anything else in this episode that really stood out to you oh one thing i did really like is um like i don't think the episode maybe emphasizes it as, as much as it could have but like you see Jakar is a pretty canny political operator here like he knows he's useful to sheridan because he's a known quantity and so he kind of exploits um, the fact that he knows that Sheridan would rather have him be the leader than some other uh, Narn who he doesn't know or doesn't have personal relations with be the leader. And so he kind of uses that to keep his leadership of the Narn. I thought that was a kind of cool angle. I think he's lost so much of his like humanity having you know his people taken over once again that he's kind of like, is his character shifting or changing into in a bad way? Um, I don't think so, but that probably comes from me having seen this whole series. Okay. So I don't think. So you know, I don't you know, think you know what this ends, where this ends. Yeah. But yeah. Watching I, it my first time, I'm like, I feel like he's on a downward spiral at this point. Maybe, maybe. I do think there's a way too in which, and I mean, I love Jakar, and I think he's a good character, but. I think Jakar kind of more than any other character on the show does a little suffer from having to play like so many different roles over the course of the show. And I think that might be somewhat what you're alluding to, too, is that there's like Jakar just does so many things over the course of the show that it makes the character a little incoherent, even though he's still like one of my two favorite characters on the show, if that makes sense. It does. All right, should we transition over to facets? Let's do that, Bob. And let's talk about this uh, crazy, wacky A-plot. Dax asked her friends to participate in the Zayantara, a trill telepathic telepathic ritual where a host can meet their previous incarnations through the bodies of their friends. Then in the B-plot, Nog obsesses over getting into Starfleet Academy, much to the dismay of his Uncle Quark. So, uh, this episode is basically civil in Star Trek form, Bob, but I'm glad they did not have Terry Farrell play like all of the hosts. So, this is where you get to treat me like I'm an idiot, Matt. What the (laughs) hell is civil? I'm surprised you don't know this, Bob. Civil is, there was a book written in like the 70s where they really started to explore multiple personalities. And it was oh this, yeah, no, no idea. It was this woman who had sixteen separate personalities, and uh, it was what started that whole field. And they made a movie about it in the late seventies with Sally Field, where she played all like. But it was one woman playing multiple parts. Whereas I'm glad in this that Terry Farrell, you know, does not play all of the host. I don't know. I mean, I sort of like Sally Fields, although playing sixteen different personalities seems like a pretty big lift. Did she right. pull it off? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I know what the movie is. You don't, but <laughs> I, I... no, I'm just saying. But does Sally Fields do? It oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or it would have just been. Yeah, it just would have been forgettable had she not. Like, I mean, yeah. 
she won some awards for well i mean it's, I, I forgot about it matt you never knew about it that's the difference <laughs> i forgot about it. Yeah, yeah 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 i mean Maybe maybe I'd heard of it, but forgot about it so completely. I I don't even remember having you heard of it. If you pull up, you'll you'll probably recognize the story because I know that they touch on it in like some Batman stuff. That's one. It's it's I know I've it's yeah. Been I'm sure it was comics. like a big influence on the Batman villains and maybe like on Crazy Jane and uh, the Doom Patrol. Right. Um. So let's like to look at these personalities though. Okay, she's got or the former host really. You got. Layla, L-E-L-A, who possesses Kira. She's a serious yep. legislator. I mean, yep. there's, there's not much more to her. Uh, then you've got O'Brien is possessed by Tobin, the nervous engineer. Yep, yep. And, and then he's we also come to, a parent and I believe a vegetarian, we learn. Yeah, and then we come to the most random inclusion of this episode. And I did some research on this, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. But Lita, who we haven't seen ever it takes the form of uh it's possessed by emony e-m-e-m-o-n-y who is a gymnast which we, like, we've seen lita she just we just haven't no, seen much of her and we've I, never I, seen her interact with dax or any of these other characters really i mean it was really weird to see her there and so i, I looked this up bob because i it, it bugged me a little bit but i found out that her appearance in the episode you know while it was random they originally wanted kiko I mean, which, that makes a certain made, amount of more sense. It would have made a little I'll, more sense, especially since, like, she needed female host, because that was a big deal with Quark or whatever, like, because a lot of her, previ- a lot of her previous hosts were female. But, but the, on the other hand, like, we've never seen Keiko and Dax really have a relationship. And honestly, like, even though we've never, like, even though we've never seen Lita and Dax have a relationship, and we're, I don't think we're really going to, see them have one going out from here. I can buy those two as friends. Like they make a lot of sense to me as friends. Uh, I just see O'Brien dragging Kiko along and be like, Hey, you need to come do this with us. <laughs> or yeah, da- but like Dax needs another of, person, the, you know, like that, that would make yeah, more sense to me. But like the point of the ritual is it's supposed to be like your closest friends, right? Yeah. And you know, Lita and Dax have that long, very special relationship. But no, I mean, no more so than like Dax and O'Brien or Dax and Keiko. Like, you know, it's not like Dax really has deep ties with any of those people. And it would kind of, it's also kind of funny to think, I can't remember if Bashir and Lita are dating yet, but it is kind of funny if Lita and Dax are like gal pals and are talking about Bashir behind his back. I kind of enjoy that. That could actually be pretty fun. But I don't think that ever happens. If my memory serves me correctly. No, I'm I'm not saying it happens. Oh, oh, oh you're, you're talking about a you're talking about some spinoff fan fiction, Bob, that you want to write about Lita and Dax. No, having you. I'm talking about a personal extrapolation. <laughs> fuck you, guys on Twitter. Guys on Twitter, if you'd oh, like to uh, you... link some fan fiction with Lita and Dax, Bob would love to read some of that. Um, you, right. you and your oh Keiko would make so much more sense, even though I don't know that Keiko and Jadzia have ever literally ever shared the screen together. Uh, Jesus, I don't think I, I don't think Lita's ever shared the screen with Dax other than the scene. But I gonna... just admitted that I Lita, said that they have not said... established the relationship. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. So. You understand, though, that there's limited amounts of time on TV, and so to some extent we have to imagine that the characters have relationships outside the 26 hours a year that we see them. What they should have done is gotten that Romulan lady on, on, the, uh, on the Defiant that just hangs out there all the time to operate the cloaking device. Should I mean, go- that would have been fine, but <laughs> that would, you know, like, she's been in literally fewer episodes than Lita <laughs> at this point, Matt. So all your complaints about Lita would also apply about the Romulan who operates the cloaking device, whose name you don't know, because I don't know it either. All you had to say, Bob, was that Matt, Lita had an action figure. Romulan lady didn't. Damn. In the discussion. But no, Damn. no you, you just owned yourself. I did, Bob. I just, I, I, just, I just gave you the ammo to load the gun. But you know it's you know it's ammo I could never handle, Matt. Yeah. And that's why you gave it to me to to lord over the fact that to really own you, I would have to get into something that I don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's move into the other host for real quick. We've got Cork is um, inhabited by Audred, 
which is a chatty mother, a symbiote commissioner of some sort. Yeah, uh, she said she was a symbiote yeah. commissioner, as I guess uh, Curzon was too. Right. Then you've got Bashir is inhabited by Torius, who was a fighter pilot. Then you've got Cisco being inhabited by Joran, who was a musician slash serial killer. And then you've got yes, Odo, yes. inhabited by everyone, the one we actually know about, Curzon, who apparently is a horny ambassador. I, was, I feel like we know a lot about Joran, too, because we had that whole episode. Oh, yeah, the yeah, others, yeah. The others we don't oh, so much. Like, she's mentioned them, but, like... You know, I'm not going to keep track of who's who. the only ones I'm going to remember after this episode are Jaron and Curzon. Right, and and the episode pretty much makes that pretty clear because you don't see as much of the other. Host. She doesn't spend as much time with the other host. Uh, they're just kind of there to say, okay, she has all these different characteristics and memories to uh, return to when she needs them. You know what I mean? Like she's got all this stuff to fall yeah, back on. Yeah, which I, I get it. She's got a lot of experience to to play with. All right. Although now that I think about it, this kind of does. Ex- one of the things I dislike later in the show is that Dax, during the Dominion War, stops being a science officer and just becomes the pilot well, of the Defiant. Go. Yeah. So now you know. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 Now, I, now I know she's like fulfilling a host memory, and I think it is pretty common in the show that like when they're confronting an engineering problem, she'll reference Tobin. I can't remember a specific yeah. example. But I think that is pretty common now that I think about it. One thing they did, they did do kind of with, with a specific character was Quark, and that Quark is inhabited by a female host. Yeah, um, and Cisco being amused that Dax convinces Quark to embody a female host without telling him it's a female host is pretty amusing. But with a name like Audrey, I feel like they probably could have just said it was a dude and then trick Quark. And then, you know, in the final scene, Bob, he could ask about the cramps he's been having, you know, like that B5 episode. I That probably would have been even worse than that B5 episode. And that B5 episode was pretty bad, dog. Don't, don't you want that, Bob? Don't you want that to be the ending of this episode? Quark going, man, I, I have these horrible feelings in my stomach. Uh. I mean, I, I feel like I had already got the idea, man. I don't think you had to do the Quark impersonation. I want to I want, I stretch it out for you, Bob, just a little bit so you can make sure you can understand. Well, I mean... If you want to see uh, episodes where Quark has to uh, embody a woman in ways that would probably get the show canceled now, uh, don't worry. There's we, we have an episode for you. I think it's I can't remember if it's season six or season seven, but it's coming. By God, it, it's there. You just wait. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I do like the touch that Jadzia trusts Cisco enough to have him embody Joran. You know, that gives you the nice moments of Cisco having to, or not having to, but getting to reconnect, reunite with Curzon. But it would have also been kind of interesting to have Cisco embody his friend Curzon. That that would have been another opportunity they could have done. Yeah, and this would have made, like, the reveal at the end that Curzon was in love with Dax way more interesting if Cisco embodied Curzon. I don't know why. Like, it just seems like it would have been like a... Uh... Well... The writers do love to play off like Cisco and Dax, like yes. who are not prime Cisco and Dax, like flirting, and so that right. would be a kind of way to do it. Yeah, like especially the Mirror Universe piece. That yeah, we yeah. Watched the season already. That 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 would have been something. Although, like I said, I I do like um, how they used Cisco and Jaron for a kind of Silence of the Lambs uh, riff, you know, with him being in this in the cell and you know doing a kind of kind of cheap but kind of funny anthony hopkins impersonation i have not actually watched uh hannibal which you keep telling me to but i haven't i need to but uh, you know i have like this yeah little... no no real connection of that here other than the hannibal Lecter character because the way mads mickelson plays hannibal is very very different than the way yeah. anthony hopkins plays hannibal and i would honestly say a lot better <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah, Hannibal's a great show, man. Worth your time. Worth well, your time. I thought I thought it was a good idea to have like the way they had Cisco uh, contained, like he voluntarily puts himself in the brig so as not to you know cause harm. Since we already know this, that Jaron is a pretty volatile host. Um, mm-hmm. We get that really cool scene though, where like Cisco is Jaron is controlling Cisco, and Cisco's sticking his hands on the uh, on the force field and f- just frying his hands. He's just banging his head against it. That is yeah. A, that, was, that was crazy. That was that was a good scene. I thought that was a that smart was, way to that do was. that. So I did want to pose the question: Do you think Joran wants to kill Jadzia as a way to commit suicide, 
Or is there a chance that if he kills Jadzia, he would remain in control of Cisco's body? Or does he figure that they'll you know, be able to move the Dax symbiote in time to a new host, and so he'll have the enjoyment of having killed someone he was linked to? I think he really wanted to kill again. I think that was his thing. Like, he's just... He's just programmed to do that. He's programmed to be kind of evil. And I like that she has, like, an evil host. You know what I mean? Like, at least yeah, one yeah. that she... There, that, but, that I mean, I, I just out. kind of wonder, like, if there's, like... I, I Sure, like, he's compelled to kill, but I just kind of wonder, like, what's the end game to it? Because he doesn't strike me as just a berserker. He strikes me as somebody who, like, kills, like, for specific purposes as well. Like a Jack the Ripper type. Yes, yes. Um... <laughs> It was also a kind of interesting touch that um, the two uh, the two hosts that Joran actually says he respects are uh, Layla and Taurus or Tarius. That was kind of an interesting little touch. Each says the other cool thing too. Like each host knows the other host as well because they've all yeah, been part of yeah. it. Yeah, other than the first one, of course. But well, yeah. I guess like Layla was a pretty successful person as a politician, mm-hmm. and then. Tarias was a fighter pilot, um, so you know. He, I, I guess you know the combination of success and uh, murder of those positions. I guess that's what attracts um, Juran to them. Although it's also kind of interesting to think, because it does kind of seem like the host Jadzia is closest to is Curzon, mm-hmm. since he's the one who came right before her. Right. And you kind of wonder if, since Juran, you know, came right after Tarias, is that why he actually feels such a connection to Tarias? kind of interesting yeah that makes sense did you buy the whole love interest thing between Curzon and Jadzia or was it just weird to you I thought it was fine I mean it kind of I don't think it was like necessary but I don't I don't think it like breaks anything and then Curzon and Odo wanted to do this like amiglation of each other that would have been really cool had they kept going with it <laughs> yeah yeah I I really like that yeah I mean and even Odo's appearance he just looks so different in the episode yeah, and that scene of him transforming is very cool. Yeah, they apparently, they gave him a different outfit, of course, and then they fluffed his hair up, but they uh, they took some, like, a digital photograph of the guy who played, uh, the actor who played Curzon in the first episode, Emissary. Yeah, yeah, and somehow you just they, see for, like, 30 seconds dying on a bed next to Jadzia. Exactly. They took that guy's face and somehow, like, digitized it over the makeup. So it, it, that's why he looks so different. But it's still, you know, you can still say, still tell it's Renee. You know, it's just it, it's just a great way to like do that whole thing. Cause he looked, he seemed like a completely different character. Yeah, it it really and it was just a really kind of interesting because you got the two different kind of like post human modes of life. Like on the one hand, you've got the symbiote with like all these like you know preserved memories, which is a kind of interesting concept that we've talked a lot about because you know DS Nine loves symbiote stories. But then you've also got this kind of idea of like you know, getting to share your, share your body, like with one other personality that, you know, kind of knows things and can teach you in ways. And, you know, is a shapeshifter to boot. So I don't know, it's kind of just really two different kind of interesting alien modes of life that Curzon has to choose between that I enjoyed. Yeah. I, just, I would have loved to have seen Curzon like hang on, like Curzon and Odo have almost like a Almost like a two-face kind of thing. I mean, not with the negative. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, like one one's dominant sometimes, another's dominant at other times. Right, and then the actors having to kind of get used to which one they're talking to. Yeah, it would also be kind of fun because you do see a little bit that like Curzon like still has some of like Odo's tendencies, right? Like he wants to give Quark a hard time. Right. Uh, he's still like spotting you know people who are hustlers but then the way he deals with like the hustler or with um quark is just very different than how he would deal with um them as just odo i i did kind of like too i think that this episode kind of does give a good picture of like how curzon on the one hand is like a good guy but on the other hand like a lot of kind of like charismatic kind of overbearing people he can be kind of a lot and you can you see that with like both uh cisco and jedzia's reactions to him i kind of appreciated that yeah you feel like he's got a lot of that han solo energy yeah yeah that he's just always kind of like dominating the room not necessarily like in a not in a way that makes him a bad person but just in a way that kind of makes him a sometimes annoying person you know right yeah, yeah. I also did really enjoy uh, Curzon, Odo, and uh, Jake uh, teaming up on Cisco about Yates. That was very funny. 
Yeah, they keep pushing the Yates thing. I'm glad she's she's going to be a pretty integral part of this whole thing. So I'm glad they're not ignoring her episode episode. I also need to point out too, I didn't do this at the beginning of the episode. This is a Cisco with a beard and hair episode. So oh, oh Cisco beard and hair watch. We're still we're, <laughs> we're still in the chrysalis part. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we haven't really talked about the B plot, Bob, but there really wasn't too much going on there other than Nog, you know, wanting to join Starfleet, taking the test, O'Brien giving him a the the a test on the uh, what do they call the thing on uh, ops, giving him the oh, test spatial on spatial awareness. I think they called it. Yeah, or at least yeah. that was the dimension he failed on. Right, and of course Quark, you know, he's the one who altered the test and made it Nog fail. So they went back, they checked it. Yes, that is what happened. Nog passed, so good times. But you mentioned t- that Chief O'Brien, okay? Mm-hmm. Nog, if he gets accepted to Starfleet Academy, will he be? Will he outrank Chief O'Brien? Um, I don't know what the relationship, what the rank relationship between a cadet and an enlisted man is, or enlisted enlisted person. But if Nog graduates, he will definitely outrank O'Brien as an ensign. And O'Brien will have to call him sir, because O'Brien's an enlisted guy. Okay, so just for my own knowledge and the listener's knowledge, how does the rank thing work with enlisted people? I, I don't understand. Basically, it's a class divide. So officers are people who went to college, and okay. enlisted people are people who just did, you know, probably what is basic training, like six weeks, eight weeks, and yeah. then they do other trainings on top of that later, but... Um, it's a class thing. And so, uh, O'Brien's rank is he's some sort of chief petty officer. He might be like a senior chief or a master chief petty officer or something like that, but he's at least a chief petty officer. That's why they call him chief. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like the, it's something like the equivalent of a sergeant in the army. And so even though he has years and years of experience on any ensign or Lieutenant, he, they still outrank him and he has to call them, sir. Um, although, um, my understanding of how the actual militaries work and presumably also Starfleet is that, uh, Inzen or a Lieutenant who goes around ignoring senior enlisted officers is, uh, not likely to make it long or to do well. So, yeah, I, I understand it. It's really is a class divide type thing. That makes more sense to me. I, I didn't, it's almost like the, the equivalent of someone going to like a tech school and getting like a trade, like he's more, but still yeah. holding some yeah like you're a master that, electrician but this person is an engineer okay that are two different yeah things, yeah. yeah and it, it's also like it's mainly a class thing i think there is a point too about just like numbers right like you need for militaries you need a lot of people right and you don't necessarily need to train them for four years like a college yeah. does and so yeah you need you need a lot you you, know, you, you need you need a lot more than people you can send to college um so that there's also a little bit of rationale in that because like making an officer takes a lot of time and a lot of money although it is kind of weird because um basically star trek always just shows us like starfleet from the perspective of the officers the only the only uh enlisted officer who's a major character i can think of is o'brien there are others but he's the only one i can think of who's a major character and so even in a show like lower decks where you're exploring the bottom rung of Star Trek. It's more you're seeing junior officers. You're not seeing enlisted people. It kind of makes me wonder if they like constantly are on his ass about going back to school, taking out student loans. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, nah, man, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I did want to observe about the Nog um, plotline. Is I, I hadn't realized this, but this episode actually does set up an amazing monologue from Quark in, I think, the season four premiere when Nog orders a root beer. So I, that was a kind of cool touch. Yeah, I, I forgot about that, but it's true. I think this is where it's... So do you think they might, because we've seen Discovery use the trill quite a lot too. Do you think they might ever go back to uh, this kind of touch about the Guardians being able to telepathically remove a set of memories from a trill and put it into somebody else. I, I don't necessarily think they will, but it just seems like it could be kind of an interesting uh, thing for them to explore. I think it'd be awesome if we got a change in character that ended up with a trill host and that, that we, we got that. We actually get that piece that we didn't get from DS. Yeah. I mean, I guess in fairness, it, 
they do kind of make a big deal of it really this kind of bonding between Curzon and Odo only working because either Odo is a changeling or maybe just because more generally Odo is a shapeshifter. So maybe it could work with any shapeshifter. It'd just be um, a great way for them to call back to DS9 too. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's just neat. Um, you actually do see a, a, a changeling in a very minor role um, early in the back half of Dis- Disco Season 4. Yeah, uh, I've, I've read about that. I haven't actually watched the episode yet, but I did see something about it. I, w- I would say Disco Season 4, the back half, so far is doing better than the front half. So far. So oh. wor- worth catching up on. All right, I might have to just jump on it then. I I don't know. I'm, Disco- I don't want to say I'm burnt out on it. This last season of Discovery burned me, Bob. <laughs> I was burned by the burn. Yeah, I think, like, I, the the overarching season plot lines are still bad. They should yeah. stop doing it. Yes, they should. But they're finally, finally, finally doing episodes that focus on the bridge crew. So, like, they gave Awarshika, um, one of the, the, the African lady who sits up front with uh, the redhead... Yes. They gave her a spotlight episode the other week. Um, they gave uh, the tactical officer and the comms officer. Bryce is one of their names. And Reese, I think, is the other name. Mm-hmm. They gave them a little bit of a spotlight this week. Like, they're finally, finally doing better by them. That's good. It just took four seasons. Yeah, season... only only four seasons. <laughs> by season seven, Bob, we'll have some uh, some interesting characters. All right, so <laughs> other than yeah, Burnham. yeah. Uh, so I guess we could make it before we pivot into wrapping up, we could kind of make a connection between both uh, episodes here, penultimate episodes of the season. And in both, uh, both episodes, we kind of witness um, characters undergoing a dangerous ritual, both Delenn and Dax. I, I, I don't think like anybody's really copying anybody here, but um, do you think, have any thoughts on this as a kind of like interesting coincidence between the shows? I mean, it really is an interesting coincidence uh, the, the, how they've set this up. I'm, I want to see that. I, I vaguely remember the next episode of DS9 as you know the the final episode of season three, and I have gone ahead and watched the next episode of Babylon Five. So I'm interested to be able to compare those two next week and see what, where what we're happens at. in the season three finale. I. I don't remember I, in DS9. I know he becomes he gets promoted to captain if I'm not mistaken. Is this the I think the next one is the one that's kind of an homage to the 1982 movie The Thing. Mm-hmm. Although maybe that's later in the later like in the 4th season. But but yeah, I'm interested in next week since these two were so simple had the same kind of ideas. Um I did want to sh- shift a thirst watch Bob. We had two yeah. very thirsty things going on here both involving Quark. It, yeah. Quark, Quark suggests that instead of Nog going to Starfleet Academy, he should write smut hollow suite programs, which I mean, I do think that job. would work on almost any other young man, like almost any other young man who was going into the military. You could say, hey, you could write porno instead. And they'd be like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> I mean, Jake's a writer. That's probably where he needs to go, I think. <laughs> yeah, he he does his art. He does his artistic fiction sometimes, but to pay the bills, he goes to his friend Quark and gets those uh, gets his erotic writing jobs. Yeah. And then, of course, Bob, we have this weird scene at the very beginning where Dax is actually performing umox on Quark to in front of all their Quark. friends. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah, I, I did catch on to that too. All those people were around him, so that answers that question. Well, I think we I think we already knew that umox in public was fine. My my question is still if a man gives a, a man. Oh, oh that's right. You, you that's still my question because we already knew it was okay to do it in public. Yeah, the man on man who mocks. That's what we're still uh, trying to figure out. So hit us up on Twitter, guys, if you uh, if you know the answer to that, or if you've got some some slash fi- some slash picks you'd like to send Bob, you can send it to his email. Not mine. I do. I do enjoy them. I do enjoy them. <laughs> I made a I made a very good uh, made a very good uh, meme on in that regard, and I was disappointed that it didn't get more take up. <laughs> All right, character of the week, Bob, and this is just to piss you off. I'm gonna say it's Rom. We didn't really talk much about this, but uh, on this watch through, I've noticed how much more family kind of plays into DS9 than other Trek series, and Rom really mm-hmm. wants to see his son succeed, and he's willing to like burn down Quark's bar if it can, if it ultimately came down to it. I um, also thought it was kind of touching how he goes to the trouble of 
uh, having Garrick make Nog a uniform even before he's completed the test because he knows his son is going to Starfleet one day. And even though he doesn't need to because they issue uniforms, the idiot. (laughs) (laughs) He just couldn't wait to see his kid in the uniform, Bob. He was excited. Uh, Yeah, I... uh, I'm going to ignore all the deliberate trolling you just did at me and say that, yeah, you're, you're right that DS9 does play up family a lot. But if you really think about it, the next generation plays up family in an inverse way, in a negative way, if you will. Because if you really think about it, the entire show is structured around Picard's fear of having a family, which I relate to very strongly. There you go. Well, DS9 is more like cats in the cradle type stuff. It's like cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue and the man on the moon. All right, Bob. Man, you're your... going to get us a copyright strike. Yeah. That's such a that's such a good rendition. Yeah. I feel like you just played it. <laughs> All right, Bob. Who's your character of the week? Um, I, I'm actually going to go with Sebastian. I do think the idea of like a monster like Jack the Ripper being enlightened into the horror of what he did uh and being impressed into permanent service by the Vorlon is really, really interesting. And like there's a lot of kind of cool storytelling potential to that. Um although, you know, we also do kind of get the uh indication, especially from that sinister scene at the beginning with Sheridan, uh, that the Vorlon enlightenment hasn't really worked that well on Sebastian. But even though like the execution of the episode is a little weird and a lot of the things that Sebastian is screaming at Delenn and Sheridan are really cheesy. I do think it's a very cool idea for a character. Yeah, Bob, one thing I, I did not mention earlier that I want a little bit of clarification on when it comes to Sebastian. Okay, the Vorlon took in Sebastian, made him their own, made him their mm-hmm. other own. Okay, the Shadows, did they not do the same thing with Morden? Yeah, yeah, that's very very similar now that you put it like that. Because there's supposed to be some duality there, Bob? Am I supposed to see some connection? Yes, yes, there is. Um, although I would note that in a way, like, what the Vorlon are doing is almost more sinister because Morden, even though, like, he's engineering awful things, is not himself an awful person necessarily, right? Yeah, like, he seems like he's an just a guy. guy. He's a puppet. yeah. Now. He's a smarmy deal maker, right? But like, he's not like inherently evil. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Sebastian is a monster. Like, he murdered multiple women. But it, it's also, in a way, the Vorlon are using him even more thoroughly. Whereas it seems like, as best we can tell, like, Morden is still just kind of like living a normal chronological human life. Um, the Vorlon specifically like put Sebastian in stasis for long periods of time and then bring him out temporarily to basically do the same things he did as Jack the Ripper, but just to the people that the Vorlons want him to do it to. Have they done this with other historical figures, Bob? Uh, it would seem likely. It seems unlikely that they just they only plucked Jack the Ripper. So they, Is Amelia Earhart one of them, Bob? I mean, if one wants answers on Amelia Earhart, you need to go to Star Trek Voyager for that. As I say, please, Bob, tell me, tell me when, whenever this whole war thing breaks down and we start having like you know space battles, that the Vorlon get Amelia Earhart to fly one of the ships. <laughs> well, you'll find out that unless I guess I can say this with mild spoilers, unless Amelia Earhart was telepathic, she wouldn't be of much use. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, that'll, that that's a little bit of a uh, a little nibble there. Thanks, Bob. All right. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. What was your episode of the week? Facets, Bob. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that is kind of cool and comes the Inquisitor that I I really want to like, but it just makes no damn sense. Yeah, it's it's just not not my favorite. I'm still on the fence though. I'm not. I, I, a lot. Of, a lot of Babylon Five people hate the episode. A lot of people love it. it it's it's very mixed bag. I'm still kind of. Eh. I want to see how it pays off in the end. I'm I'm kind of surprised that Babylon Five fans hate the show, like or hate the episode. It would. I would kind of feel like if you're. I mean, I like Babylon Five a lot, but I feel like I acknowledge its flaws. But I would kind of feel like if you're 
the type of person who's just like totally into Babylon 5 and you think it has no flaws, I'd be kind of, or a few flaws, I'd be a little surprised that this is the one where you draw the line. Okay. That's good to know. It's good to know there'll be, there'll be worse stuff later on. Oh yeah, season five awaits, man. <laughs> All right, Bob. All right, so this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the galaxy's greatest, but I don't even think it was the galaxy's greatest podcast this week. I just think it was the galaxy's longest podcast this week. Uh, but it's about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 and DS9. I am uh, Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.